This is Louisiana Considered on WWNL in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show, Mitch Landrieu is stepping down as a senior advisor in the Biden administration. We'll hear how he went from mayor of New Orleans to spearheading the campaign to expand broadband across America. Plus, we hear about this year's running of the Santas in New Orleans' warehouse district. But first, water leaks come with some simple math. The longer the leak goes on, the more it costs. But utility companies don't always warn customers about potential leaks. That's the case for our latest utility bill of the month. The Gulf States newsroom's Stephen Basaha reports on how a withheld bill led to one Alabama family owing thousands of dollars. When the Birmingham Waterworks truck rolled up to her home to check the water meter, Claire Aholt had one question. I stopped him and was like, hey, what's up with my bills? They've been gone for the last month. Aholt is a nurse practitioner living with her husband and two kids in Birmingham. They never received their August water bill, and that's actually something that's pretty common in Birmingham. About 20% of Birmingham Waterworks customers had bills well more than a month late. That's according to an audit from last year. Water utilities in New Orleans and Jackson, Mississippi also have trouble getting meters read each month and often rely on estimated bills instead. But Aholt found out from the utility worker outside her home that her missing bill was hiding another problem. He said, I'm glad you're out here. You probably have a leak. You need to turn your water off at the street. She didn't see any sign of a leak, but when she dug up her water meter, you could see this little bitty red thing just spinning. Spinning, spinning, spinning constantly. The leak was an expensive fix, about 2,500 bucks. Then the bills for that wasted water started coming in. The first was for $4,000. I could not believe that we had used that much water and that we were now going to have to negotiate and figure out what to do with a $4,000 water bill. And that 4000 became 7000 uh, Yes, and then a week later when they calculated the rest of our August usage, that became a $7,000 water bill. So much of that cost could have been avoided if she just got her August bill on time and knew about the leak earlier. Instead, Birmingham Waterworks delayed sending her a bill. And that's because of how the company handles something water utilities see all the time, implausible meter readings, which really just means anytime water usage seems way off. Sometimes it's an innocent reason, like the customer sorting their lawn or filling a pool. Other times it's just an error reading the meter and sometimes it's a leak. One way many utilities start dealing with this is by reaching out to the customer and saying, hey, that's a lot of water using, you good? Birmingham Waterworks says it does contact customers, but only after it's sure about the reading, which might mean waiting for another meter reader to double check. So Aholt's bill was delayed and she never got that warning. There's no documentation that they ever contacted us about anything. Did they say that they contacted you? She can't confirm whether or not anyone contacted me. I went back and looked at my call log around that date, and I don't have any phone calls from Birmingham Waterworks. And I, I now know their number very well. If the utility did let her know right away, she could have caught the leak weeks earlier and possibly prevented thousands of dollars worth of water from being wasted. Now, a lack of communication from a water utility is not new. George Kunkel consults utilities on water efficiency, and he says historically... Drinking water industry was the silent service. The water industry was happy to be 
just quietly doing its job in the background. Kunkel says that should change to better catch expensive leaks. After all, a lot of water providers are doing that by using tech like smart water meters. They can flag spikes in water use the same day rather than having to wait a month or longer. A lot of these events could be identified much quicker now save the water, save the anxiety for the customers. Everybody wins, win-win. At the start of the year, Birmingham Waterworks said it was looking into using smart water meters, and New Orleans Water Utility is currently making the switch. About a month after Claire Ahalt got those water bills for roughly $7,000, I called her up because she said Birmingham Waterworks had updated her account. So the new total down from 7000 is about $350. Birmingham Waterworks removed pretty much all she owed because of her leak. She's happy her bill got fixed, but... I certainly don't feel like Birmingham should be responsible for the entire bill. It's our water service line and it's on our property. Oh, so you feel like they gave you too much? No, well, no. I don't feel like they gave you too much because I think it's their fault they waited so long to tell us about it. And she's right that cities and towns like Birmingham, or at least their residents, bear the cost of leaks and forgiven water bills like this. All this wasted water ultimately translates to higher water rates for everyone. Rates that only go higher the longer it takes utilities to let customers know about leaks. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. We're getting ready for the running of the Santas. With Thanksgiving now in the rearview mirror, an onslaught of costumed revelers are gearing up for the 12th annual Running of the Santas, spreading holiday cheer through the streets of the New Orleans Warehouse District. It's a wild event that attracts thousands of Santas from across the Gulf Coast. And event spokesman Steve Shulkins joins us now with all the details. Steve, welcome to Louisiana Considered. Thank you, Diane. It's great to be here, and the running of the Santas is just days away. Yes, and it looks like we'll be seeing red and a little green as this raucous event gets underway. It's been going on for a dozen years now. Tell me, how did the tradition get started, and why does it attract so many revelers from across the Gulf Coast? Well, this is a very unique Christmas holiday event in which everybody comes in costume, and they wear the tackiest, wildest, craziest costumes <laughs> that you could ever imagine. We've got human Christmas trees. We've got, of course, many Santas, many Mrs. Clauses, reindeer. Lots of groups spend months preparing for their costumes for this very special occasion. And it all starts at what we call the South Pole, which is Manning's Restaurant in the Warehouse District on Fulton Street. And the costume contest will occur just prior to the race walk that goes down to what we call the North Pole, which is in the Warehouse District at Generations Hall. And that costume contest, people really spend months preparing the best costumes so that they can win the top two prizes, first and second place. Uh, it all started uh, actually in Philadelphia when a group of guys dressed up as Santa Clauses and went from bar to bar. And in Philadelphia, it it nearly increased to 40,000 revelers each year. And it was brought down here to New Orleans um, by Bob Dotrieve, who was a friend of one of the organizers of the Philadelphia event. And he saw this as a purely New Orleans Mardi Gras style event, what he calls the New Orleans Trinity. It has costumes, booze, 
and music. And with those three, <laughs> New Orleans has a winning event here. Tell us about some of the uh, costumes you've seen in the past and what maybe you're expecting this year. Well, we have seen some of the most unique, outlandish, craziest costumes that you can imagine. Bigfoot Santa, uh, we've seen reindeer, like 10 or 12 reindeer, all hooked together, linked in a human chain. We've seen Mrs. Clauses, we've seen elves, uh, elf on a shelf, um, a human Christmas tree. Uh, some of the pictures um, are incredible that, that these people have spent so much time and effort in putting together a an award-winning costume. It, it really is, um, I think the costume contest is really the, the best part of the whole event. Uh, but the party really begins at the North Pole after the costume contest and after the walk or run, or in some cases, people crawl or stumble down to Generations Hall. And then there's a party that lasts all night. The Bucktown All-Stars, which is everybody's favorite in New Orleans, will be entertaining the crowds with lots of holiday songs. There'll be great music, uh, great food, and of course, great libations uh, for the entire night. So we invite everyone to come down and celebrate the running of the Santas Saturday, December the 9th. It all begins at the South Pole at Manning's at 2 p.m., and then you can pre-party there. The costume contest is at 5. The run and the walk is at 6. And then the party at Generations Hall, which we dubbed the North Pole, lasts uh, literally until the last Santa leaves the premises. Now, let's talk about that run, the run-walk, the running of the Santas. When does that take place, and what happens during the run? So we all line up on South Peter Street outside of Manning's, and, you know, there's an official uh, starting line. And the mayor of the North Pole, Bob Dotrieve, who's the founder and organizer of the Running of the Santas event here in New Orleans, will count it down. And so thousands of people will run, some will walk, some will stroll, some will stumble, some will crawl. And it all goes down to Generations Hall to the North Pole. It's a fun race walk. No awards are given for the fastest runner. How long is that run? It's a whopping four and a half blocks. So <laughs> just about anybody, and no matter what kind of physical condition you are, you can make the running of the Santas or the walking of the Santas. But yeah, most people do walk, stroll down from uh, Manning's to Generations Hall. And then once you get to Generations Hall, like I said, the party just begins with the Bucktown All-Stars taking the stage. And we have just a night-long holiday celebration that goes on in the Warehouse District of New Orleans. So, Steve, is the event naughty or nice or both? Well, uh, all of the above. Yes, there's some <laughs> naughty in there. Um, you know, we like to have fun. And uh, this is an adult crowd. So there will be some costumes that I couldn't even begin to describe for you on the radio. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Now, are you going to run or costume this year? I always am in a costume as a Santa Claus, as the North Pole mayor's assistant. Now, this is a fun event, but does it also support a serious cause? Yes, the running of the Santa's event actually goes to a very good cause that Others May Live Foundation. It is a nonprofit foundation that was established uh, 20 years ago, and it provides scholarships family counseling, and other aid to surviving children of United States Air Force 
uh, rescue heroes who gave the ultimate sacrifice during their rescue missions. This benefits the families and specifically the children of those fallen Air Force men and women. They are the uh, beneficiaries of this uh, fun, wild, outlandish, crazy holiday event, which I hope you and all your <laughs> listeners will come this year. Running of the Santa's spokesman, Steve Shulkins, this has been fun. Happy holidays, Diane. Thank you. And the same to you. The 12th annual Running of the Santas gets underway on Saturday, December 9th, starting at 2 p.m. at Mannings on Fulton Street. You'll find more info on Running of the Santas on Facebook at facebook.com slash runningsantas and on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Running Santas. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Earlier this month, it was announced that Mitch Landrieu, former mayor of New Orleans and current senior advisor to President Biden, is expected to leave the administration at the end of the year. Most of his time in Washington has been marked by efforts to expand broadband across the country. Over the summer, NPR's Scott Detrow reported on Landrieu's role as Biden's infrastructure point person. Today, as we wonder what Landrieu might do next, we give this story a second listen. When President Biden delivered his State of the Union address this winter, the big emotional thrust of the speech was a law he had signed more than a year earlier. Projects that are going to put thousands of people to work rebuilding our highways, our bridges, our railroads, our tunnels, ports, airports, clean water, high-speed Internet, all across America. The Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, a $1.2 trillion law that achieved two major promises of Biden's campaign for the White House— that he would put federal money into rebuilding the country, and that he could get Republicans and Democrats to actually work together and pass major legislation. And my Republican friends who voted against it as well. But I'm still, I I still get asked to fund the projects in those districts as well. But don't worry. I promised I'd be a president for all Americans. We'll fund these projects. And I'll see you at the groundbreaking. This is the year that a lot of the money starts flowing to states and local governments. $225 billion of it so far. And if Biden wants voters to think about him as a president who got major life-changing projects passed and built before next year's election, this is the year the act needs to start to stick more in Americans' minds. The man in charge of making sure that all of this happens, that money gets to state and local governments, that bids for the construction of these big projects go out in time, that enough people are signing up for the new programs, is former New Orleans Mayor Mitch Landrieu. Landrieu has spent the past 19 months fielding thousands of phone calls, making hundreds of trips across the U.S., and telling everyone he comes across how big of a deal the Infrastructure Act is. Well, I think it's clear now that we're not turning back. I think that's clear to everybody in the country that we're heading in a very specific direction where there is no reverse. Mitch Landrieu is something a bit rare these days, an unapologetic professional politician, somebody who will immediately try to charm every room he walks into even a room of mildly cranky, mildly self-important political journalists. God, what a handsome handsome group. Y'all can't talk? How's everybody doing? What's going on? This is my office. You like it? 
It's in his blood. He's been in office for decades, and he's the son of one-time New Orleans Mayor Moon Landrieu and the brother of former U.S. Senator Mary Landrieu. Now he's running a 15-person team coordinating with federal agencies, state governments, and local governments to get more than a trillion dollars worth of major projects up and running as quickly as possible. My team's job, along with the president being our, our leader, is to, is to build the team, get the money out of the door, and then to tell the story. And so as we Flying from that, Washington to New York City on Air Force One this winter, Landry told me that even if the Infrastructure Act's projects will take years to be built, he's operating with urgency. Secondly, we have intense focus every day, all day. It's all about hurry the hell up and get it done from the president's perspective. So that's just the way we roll. He's a get-it-done guy. Uh, and he gets in the weeds, he travels and, and sees things on the ground. Ben LeBolt is the White House communications director. It feels like sometimes he's in more than five states a week. In January, Landry was flying with Biden to tout a major new rail tunnel in and out of Manhattan. In June, he was in Maryland, talking up a $14 billion effort to provide Internet access to people who can't afford it. Landry said he'd been on the phone with three officials already that day, including Maryland's governor. And then speaking to a crowd at a library, Landry insisted the Internet access effort is his favorite program in the Infrastructure Act. Knowledge is the great equalizer. If you don't have access to technology in order to access the knowledge, then you get left behind. The Affordable Connectivity Program gives monthly $30 subsidies for lower-income individuals to buy Internet access. The Biden administration has gotten many Internet companies to offer $30 plans at the same time, making access essentially free. About 19 million people have already signed up. People like Masal Mendez, who remembers having to stay late at school to finish homework he needed the Internet for. This was honestly like super frustrating for me um, uh, as a teenager, because how many teenagers like want to go to school early, want to leave late or spend their, their weekends at a library? No teenager wants to do that. The 23-year-old Texan was skeptical at first, but applied for the program and now pays $20 a month to get online, down from 50. It might not be much to some people. And people like me who come from like a low-income immigrant household and background, like $30 is extra money for gas, uh, for food, and for some people for rent. The internet program has political benefits for the administration, too. The huge physical projects the Infrastructure Act will fund may take years to build. For your cheap internet access, that's immediate, understandable, and something voters may more quickly appreciate. But in Maryland, Landrew is telling a room full of librarians that the ACP is facing a bit of a problem. These are jelly beans to be given out in the bank to individuals who, if they're eligible for it, can just sign up and actually... They're all in the library basement, training on how to get more people signed up for the program. Landrew's telling them it's going to take some work. We have this thing going on where some people, notwithstanding our best efforts, say, well, I don't know. I'm so busy trying to get to work. I'm so busy trying to get from day to day. I'm so busy trying to pick my kids up from school. The White House thinks an additional 30 million people who haven't signed up yet could be eligible. So Landry says a big part of his job is selling this. That means selling to the people who might need these programs and selling the broader idea of the act to the public. The idea is to make it simple for the public to get the benefit that the president says that they so desperately need, which is just access to knowledge, which you cannot have if you don't have technology these days. You said a couple of weeks ago when you were talking to reporters that you can make an argument that that this act is as big of a deal as the New Deal or as the Eisenhower interstate. And I think that would be surprising to a lot of people. People would say that's a pretty big claim to make. I don't think it's just a, a claim. I mean, it, it is factually true. $1.2 trillion to rebuild the roads, the bridges, the airports, the ports, the waterways, 
high-speed Internet, clean air, clean water, clean energy economy is in real dollars as big as building the interstate system and what happened during the New Deal. Um, you could argue whether that was a little bit bigger, but they've only had three times in history where we've done that. So it's really kind of a, 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 kind of a silly argument to have. Right now, making sure that everybody in the country has access to the Internet is like electrifying the country. That's how transformative it is because it's not, it's not narrow or limited. It's actually ubiquitous, meaning it is everywhere all the time. That will take time to establish. Biden is up for re-election next year. So Landry will keep going as fast as he can. This is kind of like the tortoise and the hare story. <laughs> and with the tortoise in this story. Maybe just a very energetic tortoise. The Infrastructure Act spends $65 billion on Internet access. That's the connectivity program and then much more to build new broadband lines in places without high-speed Internet. It's the sort of thing people like Catherine DeWitt have been calling for for years. DeWitt is the project director for the Pew Charitable Trust Broadband Access Initiative. I talked to DeWitt to get a sense of what's working so far and what isn't. And I started by asking her what she makes of Landrieu's claim that the Infrastructure Act rivals the New Deal. What is noteworthy about this moment that we're in is that we see folks moving away, and policymakers in particular, moving away from this idea that access to the internet is a luxury. And instead, they are viewing it as a necessity. The pandemic fundamentally changed the way that folks understood what the absence of connections actually meant. When we saw students doing their homework in a Taco Bell parking lot or heard stories about teachers driving hours to make sure that kids uh, had their paper packets of homework because they didn't have internet access available to download things in the home. I think what that brought home was just the sheer inconvenience and then inequities that came along with that inconvenience and with that lack of connectivity. The day that we spent with Landrew, he was being very blunt about the fact that they need to get more people to sign up. The administration mm-hmm. thinks as many as 48 million households could be eligible. 19 million people have signed up, but it's it, it's less than half of, of, of who could be eligible right now. What do you think the challenges are to getting that number higher? Research and surveys have found that just about half of eligible households actually know that the program exists. So we certainly have a lot more work to do when it comes to marketing and outreach. But I think more to the point, uh, this program is hard to sign up for. It's a multi-step verification process that can take several days. What folks on the ground have found is that it often takes someone uh, sitting next to this person who is trying to sign up, really walking them through that process. What are you worried most about as you you look at the promise of these (laughs) projects and the possible reality? States are heading into a really essential phase of their funding development. They're actually designing their programs right now. They're figuring out how they're going to spend this money. They're figuring out the award structure, project areas. They have to be able to know that ACP is going to be there, that those funds are going to be there. So if there is uncertainty with ACP, if we're worried that that's going to run out in less than a year, that introduces a huge risk and a significant uncertainty to a process that's already very complex. That was Catherine DeWitt, director for the Pew Charitable Trust Broadband Access Initiative. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. 
thanks to our guest, Steve Shulkins, spokesperson for Running of the Santas. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our assistant producer is Aubrey Procell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.